welcome to, this is either the second to last or third to last now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, not last episode of the podcast, I promise, but the last of the series for the Oregon Health Authority that um, I was able to get funded for us to interview 12 people in the state of Oregon who have tested positive for an SCI and just sort of understanding what the common themes are and being able to present this to the Oregon Health Authority uh, and also lay the groundwork for the need for an intervention to aid SC prevention efforts as they currently exist, but in a way that takes our experiences with people who have tested positive in the past for a sexually transmitted infection so that we can minimize the potential risks of those who might not have come into contact with a person who is positive um, for this to have been brought up to them. Because a lot of times this is the first bit of relevant sex education that we have in adulthood is after having tested positive for an SCI or after showing symptoms and then we become Google enthusiasts about what could be potentially going on with us, but we're not really good at communicating uh, with the appropriate people involved, our sexual partners, as well as our healthcare providers. So what I'm hoping from this series of podcast episodes is to be able to gather enough information in order to put together a resource that allows for us to better receive um, uh, sexual health information, education, as well as communication tools and resources in addition to being able to just further deepen our understanding of this concept that I like to call STI minimization. Today's guest is Jade. Jade is a cisgendered, not heterosexual. I didn't ask uh, that in the survey. I just said, are you heterosexual, yes or no? And then we can just expand from there. I find that when you simplify these questions, you get a lot more uh, from people if you you know just have a starting point of where to go you are sex positive you are involved in kink and bdsm you would change nothing about your experiences that you had you got your standard all right just tell your partners to go and get tested after you were diagnosed with what we're going to be uh, speaking a little to is chlamydia and then as far as damn i did so good the last part, hold on, I gotta look at my screen, <laughs> was, oh, you'll get into this, just describing what your experience was with your healthcare provider. So I think I covered everything as far as the survey goes, but um, I want to thank you for participating in this and being part of this and allowing for me to get this done. Um, this is really contributing to what I consider is going to be uh, I don't want to say industry changing because it's not an industry. It doesn't seem to be the right word. There will be changes in institutions, I believe, maybe institutional change in relation to how we navigate uh, sexual communication. So uh, thanks for being here. And uh, I'll just pass it over to you to just start by answering the question of um, just sharing the story about when you were diagnosed with chlamydia um, and what was going on around that time. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I have... Um, That's what everybody says. Are you really happy to be here? I it's am. early in the morning. Okay. You yawned when I opened the door to let you in. <laughs> I'm not happy that I'm awake and that I had to drive with morning people, but I am happy to be here. I'll take that. Um, I 
found out that I have a pretty, like, non-normal STI um, experience, with, especially with having the healthcare provider that I did, who was very focused on um, non-stigmatizing care. Um, in talking to my friends about that, I found that other people have not had that same experience um, or that positive experience like I did. Um, I was seeing someone, we had stopped seeing each other, got a text a couple months later that they were experiencing some symptoms and I should get tested. Um, I did. I, um, I believed them to, you know, be honest about the symptoms that they were presenting with. So I got tested, um, and then I was positive for chlamydia, um, so I got called back into the office for treatment, just like, you know, mix up the antibiotics, make you drink it. Um, and I was talking to the nurse about, you know, how kind of overwhelmed I was, um, ashamed I was feeling, nervous to tell the um, new partner I had started seeing. And she was very, very calm and collected and caring for me. And she explained it is an infection, like people get infections all the time. It's the transmission method is sex. That's what adds to that stigma of it. That's what people think is, you know, dirty or puritanical society, finding sex to be dirty. So then STIs are like double dirty somehow. Um, but she was very um, caring in her explanation and just really reduced a lot of the anxiety I was having about talking to this other partner. She explained, like, you're adults, you're, you know, sexually active adults, infections are likely to happen. Um, treatment is easy for a lot of them. Um, and that it, it doesn't need to be this, like, big deal of pointing fingers, and they gave me chlamydia, and then I didn't know about it, so then I gave them chlamydia, and then everybody's talking about how everybody gave everybody chlamydia, um, and just making it kind of into this, like, gossip, big gossip thing. So um, that was really helpful, and the partner that I um, was had started seeing was understanding, I mean, upset in their own way, and that's to be expected. You have to go to the clinic, you gotta wait, you gotta wait for your results, even though you know which one you have likely, and then they have to get your, your results back, then you have to make your appointment to get your meds and whatnot. So it's a frustrating process for sure, but it is a process. It's the same kind of process if you had any other type of, you know, if you have strep throat or something like that, it's an, it's an infection. So you just gotta take care of it. But it's really that, that transmission method of sex that it's like oh no you <laughs> how could you have sex with someone what a bad thing and then you got sick from it like that's kind of that fear-mongering that is part of like abstinence only education it's like if you have sex this will happen like kind of guaranteeing it as if it's a hundred percent and it it isn't um and Definitely the way I was taught about it was, like, that STIs and, um, STIs were something to really be feared and really prevent you from having sex. 
in um in my eighth grade sex ed we had this like project where not project but activity where we all got a cup with it was a clear cup um with a liquid in it and we were told that we could you know go up to our friends and ask for some of their liquid pour some of our liquid into their cup um and then at the end we all sat down the teacher came around with like these drops and dropped um you know whatever in that changed the color so when we started she didn't say any of this before we began the activity so she didn't explain these cups have liquid a couple of people have the like quote-unquote infection in it so like if it interacts with her drops it turns pink or whatever so she doesn't mention any of that. So we all go around, we're like, haha, sharing <laughs> excuse me, sharing fluids, <laughs> pouring into each other's cups. We're in eighth grade, like it's just a silly activity to us. We don't get it. Um, so then we all sit down, she puts the drops in, and the whole classroom has pink liquid now. When if she had put the drops in before we started, only a couple of people would have had it. The whole thing is to be like, you never know who you're sleeping with and who they've slept with before. So you never know what you're at risk for. Yes, the look you're giving me is like, have a conversation <laughs> about that. And so we were all, I mean, right. If y'all knew, <clears throat> so let, let me, I'm just saying this here. Right. If the teacher would have, and, and this is so reflective of how we're doing sex education, period. If y'all are having a good time and no one told y'all that having a good time was gonna make your fluid that you're sharing turn pink you more than likely common sense as kids like we know a lot more than adults give credit for mm -hmm. and then they just make us stupider right <laughs> yeah. so that teacher as intelligent of an exercise as this was that was a stupid way of going about this exercise because having told y'all before, like, what I'm seeing metaphorically here is you're having fun. Your kid's having fun. You're sharing experiences. You're playing together. And then, oh, by the way, uh, I'm sick. I don't know what happened. Well, if nobody told you that there were things you could have done, you could have probably put a lid on your cup. You could have perhaps uh, in inserted the fluid, a.k.a. gotten tested, beforehand and mm -hmm. then known that you were negative because what would have happened if uh no one had um the contaminant right right if she put the drops in and everybody's water stayed the same then the lesson would have been see what happens when you communicate and get tested right exactly phenomenal yeah that would have that was an extremely missed opportunity and i'm almost positive like that that activity probably is still taught in that curriculum. It's such a good activity. It is a good, good activity. And it, it, like, it's a good activity when done correctly and when done with a sex-positive prevention lens instead of just like, oh, and look what happened, you you little sluts, basically. Sharing um, your fluids. Well, and then, so we're all sitting and we're all like, what the fuck? And someone was like, you didn't tell us that we didn't have to participate. She didn't even give us consent. abstinence. Consent, baby. She did not even give us abstinence as an option. Yeah. Like, that was... The, she was like, oh, you're right. 
like the way she was talking about it was like, now get up, now get up and share. Was this in private school? No, no. This sounds like some top-notch education (laughs) in eighth grade. No, eighth grade Uh. public school. Um, But yeah, it was just, it was really like, obviously, um, she was so proud of memorable (laughs) experience um, because I was just kind of shocked about it. Um, And so that's, that's kind of that and like, in high school, it was very much, I think we spent maybe two weeks talking about STIs and in no time talking about consent. Like, I left high school not knowing what a healthy sexual relationship looked like. I spent most of my 20s (laughs) not knowing what a healthy sexual relationship looked like. Um, So, yeah, extremely frustrating that that opportunity about STIs could have been, like, a real lesson in talk to the people. In my case, that wouldn't have helped the person. People were not telling the truth, but, um, and then it was the truth coming out later. But, um, yeah, have the conversation. Yeah. We appear to be the sex educators that we didn't have, but only after we have a negative experience. Can we imagine what it would look like if people were to have had, say that experiment was done on classrooms because, let's say, that teacher probably saw, I don't know, 100 students a day, right? Mm -hmm. So each year, 100 students will have participated in this class with this person receiving this messaging, and that would have been supported or conflicted with the messaging that they've gotten in other grades, other classes, whatever. But... For you being someone who that had such a lasting impression on and to have still gone on to have the experiences that you had and then come into awareness of, oh, like, this is what it's supposed to be like. You were given the long path of making it to a space of being able to be communicative with partners to understand the risks of SCIs, to understand that there are elements outside of intercourse because that's really what teachers are discouraging. They're discouraging intercourse. So when you tell people, uh, you shouldn't do this thing, they're going to not do that thing, but they're going to find other ways of like creating a substitute for that thing. Uh, South Park was a great episode because they were, gave people purity rings, told them not to lose their virginity, and they started having ear sex. So (laughs) this is the direction that we are sending people by not giving them more real information. Like the reality is she as an instructor did her job. Her job was to teach kids about STIs. And essentially the way that it works is if one infected person comes in contact with another and another and another, then people are gonna be infected. From that perspective, the job was done. The missed opportunity here, she could have done that same experiment with a little bit of discussion in the beginning to see how would the eighth graders even have reacted. I don't think that they would have been like, ew, you're a cop, blah, blah, blah. Probably would have been like, all right, hey, here, let's pour this out. We're going to put you some new fluid in here. Miss, uh, whatever your name is, can so-and-so get some fluid? Theirs was contaminated. And then we can go and play our game and we can share the yeah, fluid. Yeah, here's their antibiotics, basically. Exactly. They're, they're getting but, treated because you can be treated yes. for STIs. But even then, like in eighth grade, you can have this conversation without even taking it there, so to speak, because... People, 
humans who are maybe younger in age are smart enough to take um, foundational structures and apply that to other things. So I have this talk called Sex with Sex Education. You know about it. Um, where the aspects of sex education that are missing from yours is a perfect example. There was no conversation about consent. There was no conversation about boundaries. There was no conversation about asking for what you needed, saying yes, saying no, because y'all were just kids playing who weren't really taught how to say, hey, I don't want to play this game. This looks stupid. Or uh, mm-hmm. like you felt like you had to participate. You couldn't sit out of it if you didn't want to. Yeah. So these components, if they were given to these students, y'all, in, before this class, y'all probably would have had some questions. Y'all probably would have been able to ask some questions. Y'all wouldn't have just started playing without um, doing something like making sure everyone had the same amount of fluid. Everyone had the same fluid. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so's fluid, like their cup's bigger or different. Like that stands out. Like why why don't we all have big cups, right? Right. So it's the same kind of thing. If y'all had that information, then y'all would have done the common sense practices that would have made everyone um, negative. Everyone would have had the same status, the same starting point, and overall, playing the game, y'all would have gotten to the same destination. Only, there would have been the communication skills in place in order to get there in a way where everyone's not dirty and having mixed fluids in yeah. their cup to change just, color. Just, like, we... We didn't know that we could ask about testing. Like, we were not taught about STI testing. You're repeatedly told, like, over and over, and I guess this was more so in high school, was that, like, the most common symptom is no symptoms. But they're not really saying, in that they're not saying, so you should be getting tested frequently if you have new sexual partners. You should be talking to your partners about when they were last tested. I don't think that that... I could be wrong, and so apologies to the high school <laughs> um, sex ed teacher if she did explain that, but I don't think that that was ever really communicated to us, was like, have a conversation with someone before you have sex with them about where where they've been, what they've been doing, if they have been tested recently. And if they haven't, you have your barriers, you have your alternative um methods so that you're not having intercourse or exchanging contaminated quote-unquote fluids um yeah it was just a really it's such a lasting thing that I'm like why couldn't she have done it better why and especially like the conversations about consent I'm so upset that those conversations don't happen I had to get those conversations like from the internet basically in high school struggling to you know figure out situations with partners like it it shouldn't be on the 15 year old to try and figure all of this out if you're wanting me to have um like safety around it the the method the abstinence only the fear mongering about STIs showing you all like how many pictures of infected genitals do you have to see in a high school sex ed class like I it's blocked out I can't remember what they look like because <laughs> I'm I'm like that you've just told me the most common symptom is to not have any symptoms so then having these pictures as reference is not 
very beneficial. It's just scaring me that, like, ah, that looks pretty bad. That looks painful. And again, those are things that get treated. You know what other uh, messaging comes with that? For me, I remember thinking to myself, oh, if someone has an STI, it's going to look like that. And then I have the assumption that as long as it doesn't look like that, as long as there's no foul odor, as long as that person's not in pain, then we can have sex and I don't have to worry about getting an STI. So what this messaging does is it also allows for misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. And there's like, I'm, I'm just imagining, what would the teacher's face have been? What would their response have been? Their response have been if one of the students was like, well, why don't we just get tested and talk to our partners? Like, yeah. what, what would the teacher say? Get out to detention. <laughs> Honestly, like probably jaw drop, like, uh, uh, what do I do in my personal life that I'm not teaching these kids? Because, <laughs> um, well, in thinking back on it, like, realizing now as I'm, like, in my mid-20s, like, looking back on when I was in, like, elementary school and early high school, like, the people teaching me and the people, like, in charge of taking care of me are my age now. So they're in their mid-20s, and I was like, there's no way that you guys are out there practicing this education. You guys have other tools that you're not telling us, like, you're not sharing with us. Or maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't, true. I can't imagine teaching something so passionately and not believing it. Uh, It never felt like they were teaching it passionately. That's the other thing. It's like having your Mm. science, your biology teachers um, required to teach this. Um, At least in my state, it was required. Um, And who knows, you know, hopefully it has changed and adjusted. And I really, really, really hope that there are conversations about consent in there. Um, But... You're not, you, you don't have sex educators teaching this. You may, you might. Because sex educators are going to tell kids to have sex. Uh, we yeah. can't have that. Yeah. We can't. So, we need to just keep raising generations of misinformed, sexually repressed, sexually shamed folks. Then we set them free. And then we get to have all of these issues with sexual assault, with STIs, with consent, with boundaries. Mental with mental health, with all, like, you know, carrying that shame. Like, I have I have the Catholic guilt in there, too. Like, the religious upbringing and the shame that that brings into trying to have a healthy sexual life. Mm-hmm. And a healthy connection even to pleasure. In, in, like, the most general sense, not just sexual pleasure. But... And this really transitions very smoothly into something that I'm consistently seeing is that sex... I googled um, sex and pleasure. Sex and pleasure are super interconnected uh, by society. You know, when you talk about pleasure, it's in the context of sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Sexuality is sex is only such a small piece of sexuality, and intercourse and sex are interchangeably like com- um, uh, correlated to one another. Sex is not exclusively intercourse. What does sex mean to? Two people who aren't trying to conceive, who are incapable of conceiving, because like the way society looks at sex is intercourse to make a baby. That is ultimately what we're looking at and what we're up against in society. And they're like, don't teach kids to make babies, right? However, there's not that 
that little piece, that little itty bitty teeny tiny piece of the sexuality picture mm-hmm. is shaping the way that people are not taught about those other complex and even more simple layers. So I think what we have to do at this point is uncouple intercourse from sex and sex from pleasure so that we can have a more pleasure positive society because there are things that you know we can support promote that in our sex education allows for youth to go off and explore like i asked uh, the instagram audience of something positive for positive people what they consider to be pleasure what what's pleasure to you and food and sex were the main things that came up and i was like all right y'all definitely food yeah besides putting stuff in your mouth like what (laughs) what else is pleasure (laughs) and people spoke about just being present with someone Mm -hmm. uh sitting in stillness going and enjoying the sunlight uh swimming doing different physical activities and even things that are uh alone so we even couple pleasure with the dependency on another person or thing being present rather than experiencing the pleasure of having your alone time or time to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think that overall what I'm seeing here and in conversations with people is that there needs to be an uncoupling of pleasure from sex, intercourse from sex, so that we can now get people to see the bigger picture when it comes to the sex education that youth is going to receive. Yeah, and it's definitely a conversation about, like, health, wellness. Like, (laughs) you say it, sexual health is mental health. And having these, um, like, all of these societal stigmas and pressures on what it is to have sex, what it is, what is intercourse, what is sexuality, and your intercourse is linked to your sexuality. There's all these um, narrowing definitions that like don't allow for humans to full what am I trying to say humans to fully like own their pleasure in all of their in all aspects because like yeah there is pleasure in eating there's pleasure in moving there's pleasure in being present with someone there's pleasure in being present by yourself um and I really want to shout out Portia Brown coaching um she is spelled their name yes it is p-o-r-t-i-a b-r-o-w-n portia brown um i'll double check for the um instagram handle i can put it in the show notes as well um but she is a coach and one of her like guiding principles is finding pleasure and and dedicating time to having a pleasure practice that's just for you (laughs) and that is um set up the way you want you know it's it's completely individual um and so she has prompts and you know things to think about for that kind of pleasure leading to sexual empowerment and presence and being present with yourself and with your body and like truly taking pleasure as an embodied practice so that you are mindful and aware of sensations in your body because we're so often like performing, especially in sexual situations, 
we're so frequently performing for the other person um, and performing, you know, things that we've seen and like um, that have like absorbed into us from society of how you should be acting in the bedroom. Um, and that's like a private individual thing. So like, why are we letting, of course, these things are going to influence like these outside things are going to have an influence, but we we often just let them define it completely. And then we don't get that opportunity to define it how we want. And that I think is a good transition into kind of kink and BDSM is that that space really allows for you to explore what you want out of an experience instead of what everyone has told you you should be getting. Because, you know, young teens watching porn and those eighth graders, we're all in eighth grade, we're definitely watching porn. So we're setting up, because um, we're um, setting up unrealistic uh, expectations. expectations and then with that activity that we did, that's also an unrealistic expectation. You're gonna walk around and just be like, yeah, hey, you wanna share fluids? I guess there was, that was a tiny little piece of consent in that was like, you wanna share? But with your friends, you just kinda went up and dumped, dumped the liquid into their cup. Like, you didn't ask. So how much of non-consent is being pushed onto you yeah like that becomes oh my gosh that's a huge conversation that goes it's down bad. It it's was, really uh, the, bad the, uh was it brock turner is that his name uh the he was in college sexually assaulted somebody and got like a slap on the wrist and now he's fine like he's free. yeah i believe it was just like, three that months was, that was okay like that's what the system said the system was oh, like oh this is okay yeah and Getting into the how the system treats <laughs> sex and survivors of sexual assault is a full other podcast series, I would think. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we're we are very much conditioned by society to not care about those things and not care about people having the agency to define themselves and what sex and pleasure and a happy life means so i had something else but i forgot okay um i want to be sure to touch on and we can come back to this later i want to touch more on your experience with the healthcare provider uh, because i'm curious to know if she gave you the tools that you felt that you needed to disclose your status or to uh, tell your partner to get tested. Did you feel like coming out of there that you were confident and able to go, hey, get tested? And then like, was it get tested or was it, hey, you need to get tested for chlamydia? Was it, hey, I have chlamydia, you should get tested? Like, how, how was that? Um, I don't know that she gave any additional tools. I I think the the destigmatizing conversation that we had really helped me going into the conversation of telling a partner. I had I tested positive for chlamydia. Um, you should get tested. And I don't remember exact timeline. I don't remember if I I know I definitely waited until I got my results because I didn't want to just scare someone. Um, and I don't know if that's good or bad or whatever, but that, that was the choice that I had made. Um, 
and so I don't remember if it was after I was getting treated that I contacted them or if it was as soon as I knew I had tested positive, I contacted them. So I may have talked to them before my um, appointment with the um, nurse to get my antibiotics. But I think really, like, we've talked about this, like, the the diagnosis is kind of a base point for stigma. If, you're, if your doctor is like, you got this nasty thing, you should tell, go tell everyone you've ever had sex with. Um, there's a show, I can't think of the name of it, but uh, the character... True. Yes, yeah. No, no, not oh, Shrill. I was so confident that that was it. You were, and I think it is like a one-word title, but that's not it. Okay. Oh, it's called Love Sick. I would not have guessed that. No. I was going to go Shrill, Broad City, everything I've seen like that's in that genre of right. humor. No, this is a different, this is like British okay, okay. show. But the, the main character in that um, tests positive for an STI and then like goes through the list of like every woman he's ever dated or slept with um and it like goes back years and i'm like what why in this in this show that's relatively recent has this care is this character like out in the world not getting tested between you know new relationships or you know at least on a yearly basis so that they know hey this sti came up it's not from this person from eight years ago Anyway, um, so that show also reinforcing that, but, um, that, like, that diagnosis, um, appointment was just wonderfully destigmatizing. Good. Like, so, and to talk to other people about that, that's why I mentioned, like, I have had a pretty non-typical experience that I actually had a provider who took the time when and was like, do you have any questions? And I was like, how does this ha- like how does this happen? I I trusted that this person was telling me the truth. Um, that's why we didn't use barriers, things like that. And for her to just be like, look, it's not it's not about blaming people. It that sounds like a doctor who's had chlamydia before. Sure, yeah. probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, because I was just, it was all so scary and brand new. Like, even though they are fear-mongering about it in school, I didn't know what an appointment looked like. So I think even, like, bringing that wow. into... I never thought about that. Yeah, I really, I had no, no clue, like... And then I've had other, since that experience, um, getting tested pretty regularly and trying to, you know be mindful of timeline and like, okay, if I want to see this new partner, I should get tested here so that I have that, you know, like, I don't know that all of the numbers, but like the three weeks clearance kind of stuff like that. Um, also navigating that on my own, that has not been, you know, that's been from my personal research and less so from providers giving me that info. But I've had a lot of doctors since then who are nothing like that wonderful nurse. And when I'm like, I want to get tested for STIs, they're like, well, which ones? And I'm like, um, this, 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 like trying to do the ones I can think of. Now I have it down. And I'm like, I know it's the full, the full spectrum. And I want the, you know, blood. I want a pee, swab, blood Yeah, I want, I want to swab mouth. I want to swab genitals. Like 
I want to do it all to be positive that. I mean, you don't want to be positive. To be positive I that I <laughs> am not positive. You said yourself up. I did. I definitely up. did. It was terrible. <laughs> um, now, touching on healthcare providers and the person needing to seek testing and treatment being the initial touch point of stigma, the way that you were delivered your diagnosis of chlamydia actually supported you in being able to actively be someone who's anti-stigmatizing yourself, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And to have this perspective, you know, if someone were to have given you an STI again, or if you were to have gotten an STI again, first off, your vetting process has changed. Uh, you mentioned that this changed how you have conversations. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, I definitely have conversations that are very explicit about when they were last tested, what all that they were tested for, and just a discussion of if you do have anything longer term, longer term and um, viral, then like... Are we talking about herpes, HPV, HIV? Yes. So if there are... If any of those are, you know, I'm engaging with someone who's positive for any of those, just a discussion about, you know, what that, like, and really what that experience has been like for them, because they may have not interacted with someone who is destigmatizing about it. They may be interacting with folks who are rejecting them when they disclose that positive status. Um... And so having that conversation around, like, I, I just want to know, <laughs> I need to know what I'm getting involved with. So I need to know honestly and truthfully. And then I am, it is very rare occasion that I would not use a barrier with um, any type of penetration. That moving forward was something really important to me because that was the whole experience was like, oh, okay, so you haven't been with anyone, so it's fine. Um, and just trusting that that person was telling me the truth, which was not my uh, brightest, <laughs> my <laughs> not my best decision making, but also offering myself forgiveness and grace about that. Mm. You know, I don't need to also shame myself for making a mistake or making a choice that I don't necessarily agree with in the future. Yes, listen, we don't we don't make mistakes, we make decisions, we make choices, and then we make them right or we make them wrong. Yeah. That's ultimately what that comes down to. Uh, <clears throat> I envision a world where people are able to get the information not from strangers on the internet, not from me, somebody who is just open about having and living with a chronic STI and becoming all of a sudden like, like my credibility goes above doctors. People reach out to me and they're like, what do these results mean? I'm like, what'd your doctor say? I didn't ask them. All right. Well, like, what do you think I'm going to tell you? I didn't go to I'm medical school. Like, I only can tell you, I can only point you in a direction, right? But you spoke to something that was very like, aha, to me. And that's that we don't know how to communicate with our healthcare providers. We don't know what to ask for. We don't know what the process of going in for SCI screening looks like. We don't mm -hmm. even know to ask for what's being tested for. So there's that on this hand. 
On the other hand, healthcare providers are uncomfortable bringing up sex. They're uncomfortable bringing up pleasure to patients Mm -hmm. and speaking about that. So if it's not what the patient comes in for, then it's not what the provider is going to inquire on. And the way that they're taught to interact with patients is more of like a patient-led approach. You're coming in for a service. The healthcare industry is a business at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You come in, you go in, and you're like, hey, I need this thing. And then they're going to be like, okay, well, here, it's in this direction. What kind do you want? Like, we can do this kind, this kind. You got this color, this size. What's in your budget? Basically, is what it's like shopping. Yeah. Right? So you go in. You go in for your service. The healthcare provider might. Anything else? Anything else? Anything else? And it's on you, the customer, to be like, well, damn, I didn't make a list before I left the house. What else did I need? Uh, I think I need some of that uh, that STI screening. But yeah, I make know. a list before you go to the doctor. Uh, I do it all the people. time. I've been telling people that. You know, I do it all the time. Talk, ask all your questions. Like people will be like, because uh, you I forget have so many everything, questions. and it's nervous. It's like um, I have a lot of kind of just had some very negative healthcare experiences. Um, and so I have a lot, like I get a lot of anxiety going into a doctor's office even. And so to help myself with that, I'm like, write down everything I want to talk about so that I make sure when I'm in there and I'm getting kind of like activated, nervous by the environment or the situation, especially if it is a, like I've had in the past, a very stigmatizing male provider and I'm trying to get STI testing. Um, he was very much just like, I was like, I want all all of them. And he was like, what do you mean by all of them? And I was like, I, I don't know. I can't think of what they all are right now. Like, please help me out. And he's like, well, I have to I have to get your explicit consent about... Um, that sounds like somebody who's being nosy. HIV. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> tell maybe. Me, tell me, what are you Maybe. HIV um, and like the other blood work. He was like... You know, doctors have tested for those when people haven't consented to the testing and then been sued and whatnot. That's cool, but you asked for it. And I was like, but I did, (laughs) I kept saying everything. And you know, you're a doctor, you know that those are included in the, like, you know, full, um, full gambit of the STI tests or whatever. So, um, yeah, I just, if you need to make a list, make a list. And... Mm -hmm advocating for yourself in that situation where doctors are very much perceived to be authority figures and experts even though they're also humans with their um socialized sexual stigma (laughs) um so advocating for yourself in those opportunities or in those environments I mean and also you can I mean, not with COVID necessarily, but you can bring in someone else, you know, bring a friend with you to the appointment who can be there to help calm your nerves and remind you like, oh, hey, you have your list. Like, let's let's talk to the doctor about this. Um, If that is something that you need, you should never feel like bad for having that list. You should never feel like, you know, any sort of. Um, guilt or shame about doing what you need to to show up in an environment and be able to advocate for yourself in a healthy way. And that sometimes includes ending an appointment with a doctor. Ending a what? Ending an appointment with a doctor. I employment, my <laughs> No. Um, like, I, this is not the doctor for me. If, the, if 
like, if it gets that serious and if they're really not listening to you when you're trying to advocate for yourself. It's, it's funny because I'm, I'm hearing your path from sex education to poor sexual experience. I use air quotes when I say poor because it was just testing positive for chlamydia to the point of that interaction with your healthcare provider to where you are now in navigating communication with partners and healthcare providers. And what I'm seeing come back full circle is this communication component like being able to just ask for go ahead oh i thought you needed to sneeze <laughs> um i was actually gonna say something else but i lost the word choice but this is you know still happening um you were almost conditioned to get to this point of confusion and like an absence of choice like having the choice made for you you're not someone who's supposed to speak up against your healthcare provider and you're supposed to just be compliant and you're conditioned to just show up and assume them as an authority figure but they were also set up for being set up for failure and setting you up for failure in the sense that they don't get a lot of sex education as doctors right a lot of the experience that they have is coming from the patient. So it on one hand, it's do we arm our patients with um, better communication skills and more knowledge around sex and sexual health? Do we arm employer, um, healthcare providers with anti-stigmatizing information? Do we put more work on them? Do we make them take classes? Do we make them stop being doctors in order to be able to become better doctors, right? Or nurses or clinicians, healthcare providers. So there's this duality of how can we be better patients? How can we be a better provider? And that's what I'm seeing here because society has set us up to be bad at both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have some friends in medical school and they're, they're, they have so much they have to learn. Like I can't, I can't fault the current doctors. I have to like fault the industry of, uh, medical school and like medical academia because it is definitely not teaching any type of anti-stigmatizing, um, even like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like gender affirming care. Like that is not happening. That, that type of education is if you have a provider who has lived experience or knows folks with lived experience in that community. And so it, yeah, I mean, we can't expect like the, the schooling to, to deprogram all of the, um, societal bullshit messaging <laughs> that we're all getting um and yeah mm -hmm. so it's gonna be on um I, I took a survey I, I don't know I didn't take the survey I made a survey god I gotta get that right and it consisted of 1149 people who had all tested positive for an SCI and two of the things that stood out to me, one of which was uh, that after their first SCI, they had not tested positive for a second SCI at that point. And that seems to be very consistent. About 70 plus percent of people haven't had a second SCI since their first. There's something to be said for your experience as well with having 
quality information education upon your first diagnosis, being able to communicate moving forward to partners and just learning those communication skills and boundaries for yourself that came after testing positive for an SCI. And then the other thing was that people aren't getting useful resources where they should be getting the useful resources from, mm-hmm. which would be their healthcare provider. People find social media accounts where there's just a person who's like, I have blank. I tested positive for blank. And that's where they go and they get the information. So people are more so trusting people who are likable and trustworthy than the professionals who we should be trusting. So I'm, I'm also curious if there's a, a gap there, a missed opportunity, if you will, for someone who might be a social media influencer who is open about their SCI status, whether it be HIV, herpes, or having had HPV, or um, someone who's gotten uh, the curable STIs repeatedly, or, you know, if these people are the go-to resource for talking about these things, if we can arm them with sort of modified aspects of information from a healthcare provider, and then the healthcare provider has us people as resources to share with people to sort of bridge that gap in miscommunication so that we're at least speaking the same language and we're on the same page. So when people find me and I send them to the doctor with the missing Jenga pieces, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said Jenga, I meant puzzle pieces, (laughs) with the missing puzzle pieces, the doctor will be able to take that and be like, oh, okay, that goes here, and then supply them with the information that they need. So this this project, this, this whole series of podcast episodes is really just dedicated to identifying in detail a solution that fits uh, both the benefits of healthcare providers as well as patients, people who are active in or sexually active, who are uh, pursuing pleasure in their lives, and they should we should all be able to just do that. That's, that's it. We should all be able to um, do so in a safe way, in a way where we can uh, obtain good, quality, honest, trustworthy information, and also know that we can ask questions and what questions to ask. Because when you got your diagnosis, the doctor probably asked you if you had any questions, and you're in shock. You don't really know what you want to ask. Yeah, I'm like, how did this happen? Who gave this to yeah. me? How do, you know, what do I say? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and... To have that doctor just be like, or that nurse be like, you, you don't need to blame. <laughs> you don't need to figure out. I, I knew who to blame. I, the timeline worked out, but um, also taking responsibility of that, like, have those conversations. They're difficult. They're uncomfortable, um, but they are necessary. And and I even having that conversation before having sex with someone is like. It's the unsexy talk before you get into the good stuff, but doesn't it, like, make it easier? Like, doesn't it give you peace of mind? If that's something you need, there I'm sure there are folks that don't need that conversation, and that's that's them, power to them, but um, it just makes it, gives you such, like... I encourage everybody to have that conversation, and then look at the difference between when you do have it and when you don't. Like, how much more present and in your body can you be with the sexual experience if you know that this is someone that you can trust with your health? 
and rather, I mean, so some people might get a little bit of an adrenaline rush, and I know it. Like I, I know that's a thing. <laughs> so you know, I'm not yucking anybody's yum at all. But I challenge you. I challenge you to compare an experience not having the conversation beforehand about sexual health and STIs because it's sexy or it's not sexy, whatever, and then having a conversation beforehand. Because I believe that that conversation about your sexual health does, in fact, open up to being able to say, okay, well, I like these things. I don't like these things. And then for you to be able to match, so to speak, so that you're not in a situation where someone does something that you don't like. And then that pulls you out of your body and you're in a traumatized state, flight, fight, freeze, fawn response, and you're unable to really enjoy it. Right. So. If all of that is made clear and then you move forward, you know, it kind of, while it may seem to take some of the sexiness out in that moment, you're going to have a much more pleasant experience after that. Like, I, I challenge you. And if you don't, then I want to hear about, like, I want to hear from you that that wasn't the case. And I'll admit that I was wrong. Like, I'll admit it. So, uh, Jade, is there any final bit of thoughts that you would like to leave us with anything that you want to share before I let you go and we close this out I would highly encourage check out Portia Brown's work um one really pivotal question that I learned from her was to ask what do I need to know about someone before I interact with them sexually and answer that question, journal about it, answer it for yourself. For me, one of the really important things I need to know about their STI status, and I need to know explicitly, like chlamydia, gonorrhea, like naming the tests, HPV, HIV, like all of that. Um, that's me, though. And, you know, I need to know things about consent and letting them know like here's some hard limits for me I don't do these things um and I want to know theirs as well so opening up that conversation you can have that kind of quote-unquote unsexy part about um STIs and wellness and then you can move to um more fun things and limits and boundaries um for that kind of stuff and when your friends disclose an STI to you, I encourage you to show up for them in an unstigmatizing way, in a destigmatizing way, and remind them it's something that happens. It is treatable or manageable, no matter what it is. Um, and if you can provide your friends with that when they're getting this huge influx of stigmatizing messaging from everywhere else, that can be a really saving grace for a lot of people um, and provide them with some tools for navigating this and some hope that things will be okay because they will. Um, so yeah, encourage your friends because I had a friend who got a positive diagnosis for herpes, came to me <laughs> freaking out about it. And I was like, look, it happens. People have this. People live with this, interact with other people, like live happy, healthy lives with STIs, with chronic STIs, with, you know, all sorts. So show up for your friends in a non-stigmatizing way. That's my biggest thing. 
I like how this thing turns red at 55 minutes. It's like, you got five minutes, bro. We cutting off. <laughs> it really made me nervous. Uh, no, no. I, I could tell. You paused. You paused when you noticed it. Um, thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you for being a part of this project. I know I said it a, a lot, like, both on and off of the recording, but I very much appreciate you and what you've brought to Something Positive for Positive People, what you brought to the audience and what you brought that is going to contribute to how healthcare changes. Like I'm very, very confident that this is going to be something that changes the way that healthcare is done, especially for people who are navigating any aspect of sexual health stigma and communication. Um, something positive for positive people. We're advocating for uh, anti-stigmatizing, sex-positive, pleasure-positive, identity-validating healthcare for people who are sexually active. And um, yeah, this is drawing towards the end of the Oregon Health Authority series where we're identifying, um, you know, what these commonalities are. Sex positivity, kink and BDSM, these are consistent factors that come into play. And what's about, uh, what about sex positivity and kink and BDSM tends to be more consistently revolving around the communication and relationship management skills. So being able to teach incorporate and integrate that into youth sex education is going to equip our youth that when they go into sexual experiences, relationships, whatever else, they have this framework for communicating healthily. And that's where we need people to be. We need people to grow into uh, consent, abiding, boundary setting, and honoring um, healthy relationship managing adults. So that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. And um, I thank you for taking the time to listen. Shout out to the Oregon Health Authority for funding this podcast series and getting us to a point where we can do this research and, you know, quite frankly, just be able to ask for more money in order to implement this stuff. So that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, and share this podcast. I can be found on Instagram at Courtney Brame underscore TikTok at Courtney Brame underscore uh, Twitter. I need to figure out how I'm going to name myself there. But um, if you haven't already listened to the reasoning for the transition from H on my chest to Courtney Brame, you can check that out. Episode 243 and 244 uh, talk about that between H on my chest and Iron Man. And then the H is for hero. Till next time, stay pleasure positive.